0: Good evening to you. Please be seated. The book of Proverbs, chapter 15 tonight, our study through the Scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. And if you get their attention, they'll be happy to get a Bible into your hands. And then please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you tonight. Some people, when they as uh, so a part of their devotional life, um, I've heard people talk about it through the years, that they always spend a, a block of time in their uh, morning devotional time in the book of Proverbs. And sometimes I've heard it, I hear about people mentioning that they will uh, read one chapter a day per month and they just roll it over. They're always in the book of Proverbs and And uh, always needing the wisdom, it does something good in them. And, of course, that's a a great, great way to do it. Sometimes when I look at the book of Proverbs, sometimes when I'm teaching it, too, a little bit, um, I look at these Proverbs as little hard candies. I don't know how popular they are anymore, but it used to be when you'd go to, like, grandma or grandpa's house, somebody older. You say, why in the world don't they have more chocolate, but they've got that jar of those hard candies right there where they sit and watch television or whatever it is that they do. And to me, the Proverbs, I mean, individually, they're like a hard candy. They're meant to be, you know, just savored a long time, assimilated. And, of course, we can't do that on a Sunday night. It'd take us forever to get through it. Some of you are already anxious about the pace. So sometimes I feel like we're coming in here and we're looking at so many, even though we're doing about a chapter a night a little bit over. And all, I feel like I'm just stuffing your mouth with hard candies and you're walking out, so to speak, like a chipmunk. But it's good to sometimes as we're going through it and to just take and we come to one and you go, ooh, I like, oh, I need to study that a little bit more. Lord, I want to, you know, absorb that just in relationship with you. And just to mark that proverb. And then go back to it. So Proverbs chapter 15 begins in verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anybody bear witness to that? It's a truth. I, uh, I have discovered the truth of that from every angle. that you can discover it. Um, I have been angry and quieted by a soft answer. I have had people in my face in a massive way and quieted them with a soft answer. I have gone into a situation with a harsh word and just made things absolutely worse for having done so. It's a very, very powerful proverb, this proverb right here. It is the old saying, it takes two to tangle. Well, it takes two to fight, it really does. And if one person refuses to fight, in a fleshly kind of argument kind of thing and they respond with a soft answer, pretty soon the person that's doing all of the yelling and all of the screaming, if they have any conscience left at all, they just feel stupid after a while. As long as we don't escalate and repay evil for evil or yelling with yelling or fire with fire, a soft answer really does turn away wrath and it really does calm an intense kind of volatile exchange that may be going on uh verbally one of my favorite pictures of this in the whole bible is abigail remember the wife of nabal the word nabal means fool boy what did mom and dad know right from the womb i don't know <laughs> or maybe it was a nickname he picked up a little bit later but she was married to a man named nabal and he lived up to his name or down to it unfortunately And he gave a harsh answer to David, very disrespectful toward David. David had guarded his flocks and his herds and all. And David just wanted at the time of the shearing of the sheep that if he had a little bit of extra food or animals to give to his men as he was fleeing, Uh, For years from Saul, maybe he might, you know, have it in his heart. And he sends back this answer, you know, there's a lot of servants rebelling against their masters, and you're just riffraff, and you're a dime a dozen, and you're no good. And he just threw it back in David's face. But David was in a tough circumstance, so he kind of had it up to here. It was like Nabal was just the wrong place at the wrong time, you know. God and David said to all of his men, I don't forget whether it was 400 or 600 at that point, but he says, Get on, get all your weapons together. We're going to go kill Nabal and every male in the camp as they're parting and they're celebrating. Abigail heard about the harsh answer of her husband and she got on a donkey and she was loaded down with all kinds of meat and wonderful things and everything to bring to him. And she understood how uh, foolish her husband's uh, response had been and she came to David. And then began to speak a soft answer to him. And it calmed him down. And he became very, very grateful to her that she had stopped him from going and shedding blood in this way. It is powerful. A soft answer turns away wrath. And the world that we live in is getting more violent. And it's getting more and more angry. And I wish I could say tonight that I think that's going to turn around sometime soon but I don't think it's going to. And uh, you walk away from God and there's consequences and people are agitated and there's a shortness of resources or at least it's perceived to be the way. And and there's this competitive thing at the very time we've removed the influence of God from people's lives and, and uh, as a culture and then we have... Um, accentuated or developed to the nth degree selfishness or a self-entitlement. It's just a recipe for disaster. But we've done it. We've done it. It's here. Here now. And, uh, and it's, it's combustible. And so this anger, this wrath, is going to become nothing but greater and greater. And we're going to rem- need to remember this proverb that a soft answer turns away wrath, but it's a harsh word that stirs up anger. It just makes everything worse. Very powerful proverb. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. And so a wise man's tongue pours out helpful information in whatever situation the person is in. He pours out knowledge that helps the person in that circumstance that, that they're dealing with or they're uh, trying to address. He has a desire to be helpful, and, and he is helpful. And the fool, we're told, uh, he pours forth f- uh, foolishness. We would say... In kind of, kind of a crass way in our culture, we say that the fool kind of runs at the mouth. He just, it pours. This is an idea of out of control. He just pollutes everybody else with his foolishness. And again, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. And so what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of the condition of our heart. And so here is an example of how the wise uses speech and how the fool uses speech, just pollutes other people with his foolishness. Verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. This speaks of the omniscience of God, that he knows everything. He's omnipresent as well. He's everywhere at all the same time. So he knows everything. He witnesses everything. It's a pretty sobering thought, really, to realize he sees everything. He listens to everything. He is aware of everything. Every single little thing that happens in the whole wide world and in any individual human being's life. This is why it's silly for a person to say, you know, one day when I die, I don't need Christ, forget about that. One day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to lay the case for why I ought to get into heaven and all of that and everything. You do not want to do that. He has heard every word you've ever said. He has seen every action you 've ever done. He sees every motive of our heart, even the terrible motive behind the good things that we do outwardly and so no, we want we want to face him one day on the basis of grace and not on the basis of what he knows about us. But you know here we are the time of the year, christmas time, and And a lot of people are going to be worshiping Santa at this time of the year. I hope you don't worship Santa. They have the songs, you know, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. But Santa really can't do that, but God does. He knows everything, and he's got the list. And so the proverb is really an encouragement to those who are doing good. And it's intended to be an encouragement. You say, nobody notices, nobody cares. What difference does it make? I mean, I'm just wasting my life doing good and being, it doesn't seem to make any difference. It makes a difference to God because He's watching and He's listening. The audience are one, as the old saying goes. That's not just true in this room where we assemble together to worship Him, but it's true of our individual lives. And then it's also a warning to those who do wicked that He is fully aware of the wickedness that is... Uh, going on. So an encouragement to those who do good and then this knowledge should act as a deterrent to those who do evil. Verse 4, a wholesome, and the idea is a healthy tongue or a healing tongue. Isn't that wonderful? A person who has uses the capacity of speech to heal. A wholesome or healing tongue is a tree of life. It brings health and it brings healing uh, to other people. But perverseness and that the idea of crookedness or twistedness uh, in the tongue, it breaks the spirit. So here's another proverb that speaks to the power of speech. Speech is very, very powerful, isn't it? We talk about the old nursery rhyme, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And, of course, it's the greatest lie ever put to rhyme. Words really hurt long after the bones have mended or whatever and some kind of a football injury or this or that and uh, some teacher or some adult or some authority person or something tells you in the third grade that you're a stupid and you're never going to amount to anything, you never forget that. It's the power of words. And all of these proverbs on the speaking to, the, to speech is important for us to realize. There's the power to heal and it also has the power uh, to break and to crush people. So you've got one person uses speech to bless, another person uses speech to harm, and no one needs uh, to be crushed or be broken by the speech uh, of another person. And uh, people are going through too much already in life they got too much up against them. They're fighting against so many things to put food on the table and raise the kids and keep the marriage and all the different things that they're facing. They don't need somebody taking and using their speech to harm them or to destroy them or to tear them down. And so it really encourages us to say, I'm determined that what comes out of my mouth will be a blessing and encouragement uh, to people. And uh, certainly God's people are in great need. Of, of the use of speech in that way. Verse 5, a fool despises his father's instruction. Dad, just an old-fashioned, no nothing. What does he know? Another generation. But he who receives correction is prudent. And so the failure to heed a father's instruction uh, and certainly the despising of a father's Destruction, the proverb, uh, instruction, the proverb declares that that person is foolish and it will render me uh, uh, a fool in life. So teachableness is needed in life and instruction is needed in life. Every single one of us needs instruction. Sometimes it hurts. We get to become an adult and when someone pulls us aside and says, um, you know, let's talk about what just happened there. Um, let me tell you what you just did, the consequences that that has, and why I need you to handle that in an entirely different way the next time uh, you do that here on the job or whatever it is. Well, that smites. You know, a lot of these proverbs sting. They really do. They got, they've got a barb on the arrow. But they tell us the truth. Where are we going to go for truth today? You're going to get truth from your mom? You're not going to get truth from your mom. Some moms you will. Not very many of them. We go to God's word and God's word is going to tell us the truth. And it's important for one generation to heed the instruction of the prior uh, generation and that such a person is uh, very, very prudent. And so this is repeated over and over again in the book of Proverbs, so it must mean that there's a great tendency on the part of uh, one generation uh, to despise the instruction of the previous generation. Of course, it's very, very true. The world is filled with young people today who... Um, just cannot receive anyone, anything from anyone that's over a certain age and what do those people know, this is a new day, this is a new age, this is a uh, new time in history and all and so they won't receive anything, remember when I was a younger, Mick Jagger boy, what about his hair does he have the prettiest brown hair you've, every time I bring him up I bring up his hair, that's the only reason I mentioned it But, you know, now, back then, their whole thing was, man, I don't want to, you know, live past 30. Yeah. Then you hit 30. And then now look at them. 118 years old. (laughs) Start me up. And so kind of this disrespect for the older generation. And the younger generation cuts itself off from unbelievable wisdom when they do that. A younger person might say uh, to someone like me, saying the things that I'm saying right now, well, weren't you young once and uh, had a chip on your shoulder concerning the older generation? My answer would be, I've never been young. (laughs) I was born 40 years old. But even when I was younger, I would listen to older people. I don't know why, I don't, I think a lot of, a lot of people do, it's the other group that gets all the attention. But I had a respect for them, respect for their history, respect for their instruction. In fact, I craved input from older people who would speak into my life related to just the situation that I was uh, raised up in. And so, it's important to be able to receive instruction. None of us knows everything about everything. And since we don't know everything about everything, there are going to be times when people are going to have to instruct us. And we shouldn't be offended by that, but embrace that. I'll tell you, you go along, we go a lot further in life, not only on a spiritual level, but on a physical level, if people recognize that that's a trait in our life. Verse 6, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. You say, well, did somebody dump it there when I left? I can't wait to get home. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. And so it speaks about the fact that righteous living leads to prosperity. In general, it's true physically. And when we come to know the Lord and start to live for the Lord, all of our money isn't going off into all of these sinful areas. And sometimes you can save a quarter or two. You have more uh, to, uh, you know, put on the table or a piece of furniture to buy or these different kinds of things. So there's, it's true in a material sense. God has built the whole universe for righteousness to be rewarded. Sometimes it isn't, but that's a reflection on Man's gone way down a particular path if you live in a country where righteousness isn't rewarded any longer, but generally it does because God has created things uh, to be that way. And so it's true physically, but it's even more true uh, spiritually. Think about how many uh, men and women, even in this room where you were raised in a home where There was no great wealth or anything like that. You knew lots of people had a lot more money than you, and sometimes you might have even walked past their house, and you know, in the fall, and here it gets dark at night, and you look into the big window into the front room, and wow, I wish I could be in a place like that. But you were raised in a home where righteousness prevailed, and you were trained according uh, to Uh, God's way and so even though your family might not have been rich might not have been affluent you your parents left you with a spiritual heritage that makes you rich who's who is richer a child who's raised in a humble but godly environment or a child who's raised in an affluent but godless environment I'll tell you the one that's been raised in a humble environment but Uh, in in a godly environment because they have been prepared for success in this life and a life to come. And the other person has not been prepared for success in either this life or the life to come, not in a meaningful way, the spiritual way. He says that money acquired through wickedness results in trouble. Why does it result in trouble? Because the money will be used by wicked people to further fund wickedness. That's the problem with with wicked people uh, generating greater income through their wickedness. They always spend their money foolishness foolishly because they'll just use the money to take themselves even deeper into weak, wickedness. And so, it's it's not the way. Uh, to live in a, in a beautiful proverb uh, speaking against that and how we should view what is true treasure uh, in life. And we need to hear that. Verse 7, the lips of the wise disperse in uh, knowledge. So, again, helpful information or knowledge. But the heart of the fool does not do so. And why doesn't the fool uh, dispense helpful information and knowledge? Because he doesn't have any to dispense. And because that never comes out of him, it exposes him as a fool. Verse 8 The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, or it's repulsive, literally, to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. So the sacrifice of the wicked is not just unacceptable to God, it's an abomination because it's not given out of a desire to truly bless God. It's given out of an attempt to go through the motions or to manipulate God or try to buy something from God, and God says, none of that means anything to me. God said, I would rather hear just a simple prayer of a righteous person than to receive an amazing sacrifice being offered. Some oxen or a goat or sheep or something under the old covenant. I would rather hear a simple prayer from a righteous saint who has nothing more to offer me than that, than to receive some great sacrifice from a wicked person who doesn't love me enough to obey my word. Verse 9, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but... He, uh, but he loves him who follows righteousness. And so the Lord hates wickedness and he loves the person who walks in obedience to his word. Verse 10. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. And the idea is God's way. And he who hates correction will die And so rebellion against God, the proverb tells us, that it only leads to forcing God to use even harsher methods in order to bring us back to him on the right way. And the person who never, ever repents of his rebellion is on a path that leads uh, to life. I think about how often the people who are the uh, most uh, impatient and the most... Uh, rebellious toward correction are the ones who need it the most. And God will attempt to do that. But if a person rejects that even from God, then they're on a path so often that leads to death. Verse 11, hell and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men. So the Lord can see, he sees everything that's going on in this room right now, but we can see, Most of what's going on in this room. So the Lord sees everybody who's alive on this side of life and death, side of eternity, but He also sees everyone just as clearly who've passed through the veil of death. So He sees everyone who is in heaven uh, right now, He sees everyone who is in, uh, you know, Abraham's bosom, the waiting place or in, in in Hades awaiting the white throne judgment. It's, everything is uh, clear to him. Everyone is. Uh, it's all open to him. So if he can see people who are in the unseen realm on the other side of death, how much more easily can he see the hearts, that is the motives and the thoughts and the desires of living people. And so he can see everything. And that's why David wrote in the Psalms and he said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. It's wonderful to realize that we can bless the Lord not only with our lips, which we've just been doing just a few minutes ago, but we can bless him with our heart when he looks into our heart and he sees our love for him and he sees a clean heart. Verse 12, a scoffer does not love one who corrects him uh, nor will he go to the wise and the idea is going to the wise for instruction he doesn't want to go to the wise for instruction because he doesn't want to hear what the wise person has to say he wants to continue in his scoffing you know a scoffer and a mocker that's not a good trait and i've never seen it work out well in a person's life and i've known quite a few in the course of my life some of them within the body of christ other people uh, in the world they don't know Christ but they just had this deep kind of stream in their life they would just mock everything uh, make fun of everything mock and make fun of anyone who was different from them anyone who thought a different way and that mocking carries over to where that then becomes the attitude toward God how stupid God is his word all of these kind of things and and uh, it never ever serves us well. It really really leads us in, into a, uh, a terrible kind of place. And a mocker, because he won't—he uh, he thinks everybody else is stupid and everybody else is an idiot. He will never go to a person for the instruction he desperately needs in his life, and so he will always remain a fool. And so scoffing and mocking—that is not the mark of a wise. Uh, person. I remember one time talking with a woman in a counseling session, and she had a boy who was in his teenage years. He was in trouble, in trouble like crazy all the time. And the reason that he was in trouble with all authority in his life was of his big mouth. And all that came out of his mouth was just scorn and mocking and the whole thing. His mother didn't know what the source of it could be. She's sitting right in front of me. In the course of our conversation, she probably mocked and scorned six different people in six different situations. Didn't know she passed it on to the kid. It's a very important thing to recognize in our life tonight if it's there and, and to say, Lord, eradicate it. it. has no value to you and your work in my life. Verse 13 A merry heart makes or produces a cheerful countenance, a happy face. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. So this proverb tells us that what we are on the inside always shows up in our outward appearance, whether it's joy or whether it is uh, sorrow. So that's always, it always kind of comes out uh, of our lives. And so the importance of uh, making sure that we sow well into our spirit and into our heart and into our mind. Verse fourteen: The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. So a wise man never stops learning. When you got out of school, have you, did you say That's the last book I ever read was when I got out of school thirty years ago? Shame, shame, shame! I know that there's other ways to learn other than reading. But a wise man never stops learning all the days of his life. And most specifically related to the things of the Lord and growing. A wise man never stops growing spiritually. If Jesus is the standard for the Christian life, then there's always room to grow all the way to our final dying breath. And then when we see him face-to-face, we'll be thankful when we spent our life growing and using every opportunity uh, to grow. So the importance of never stopping to grow, especially concerning spiritual things. It says, but the mouth of fools feed on foolishness. And so you've heard the old saying, we are what we eat. Well, such is true of physical food. But it's true of what we put into our minds and what we put into our hearts. And foolish people, they feed on foolishness. And there's plenty of foolishness in the culture, isn't it? But what does it do? What's the result of it? It just makes me more foolish. So you sit and you watch something, and again, there's so much foolishness, you get a remote in your hand and you've got 187,000 channels at your disposal. And you sit and just watch something that's completely foolish for an hour, and then you put it down and you walk away and you go, what did that do for me? made me more foolish than when I sat down on the couch. What else is it going to do? Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. And so this speaks of the fact that our attitude affects our outward, uh, our, our outlook uh, on life. So here you have the contrast between the pessimist and the optimist. And so the pessimist is always down, he's always fearful, always got a gloomy outlook on life. And the optimist is determined to enjoy life in spite of the adversity and, in spite of the circumstances they're in, this is an interesting thing, and the proverb is important because it teaches us that sometimes we only see in life what we want to see. That's true of all of us. The pessimist, who is, the, is that by nature? They are that from Adam and Eve. They they will be drawn to the negative, to pessimism. And they will embrace that and they'll use it to confirm themselves in their pessimism. And the optimist is just on the other side, of other end of the spectrum, and who they are from Adam and Eve, why the gene pool, the whole deal and all. They just look at everything optimistically. It's just, just the way uh, that... Uh, that, that they're made they just automatically focus on what's good and sometimes it can frustrate you because they can't see the disaster that's right around the corner can't you see this right here the pessimist says to the optimist anybody could see it and uh, and yet the optimist uh, doesn't and so we all have areas in our fallen nature there are natural tendencies for us whether uh, going uh, in terms of being a pessimist or being an optimist. And uh, we must not uh, feed or encourage those uh, natural tendencies that take us too far in one direction, but keep a tight control over all of it. Verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Just having a little bit, but knowing that I'm right with God. How rich is that? Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. That is no great treasure, but knowing that I'm not right with uh, God. And because I'm not right with God, I don't have the capacity to enjoy uh, the treasure that I have. I like to put it this way because it's how I relate to it in life. The person who sits down to a breakfast of tea and two slices of toast. And they know that they are right with God. Their communion and relationship with God is is unhindered. It's current. It's personal and and intimate. That person is richer than the person who isn't in that kind of condition. They're wicked. They have no relationship with God. And they sit down to an absolute feast uh, for uh, breakfast. The other person who is righteous and has the fear of the Lord with little. They may be not be rich in material things, but they're rich in the things that matter, rich in peace, rich in joy, rich in character, rich in fellowship with God. We don't define riches that way within the culture. It's all money or material things. Proverbs like this make us come back and we think, boy, if I only had... and We look enviously toward these people. Their tables are full with this and their homes are full of all of these things. And and yet, uh, and we think, oh, if I, I'd give my life for that in a moment. It's only because we're viewing riches in a very narrow and unbiblical way, very superficial way. Riches, true riches, um, are very, very... Uh, very different and and, and defined differently by God. Verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs. I mean, somebody invited you who's a vegetarian. I see you, Jennifer. (laughs) Better is a dinner of herbs. You come out okay in this one, Jennifer, by the way. Otherwise I wouldn't have named you by name in front of all these people. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. So you can even if you don't enjoy a vegetarian meal, you can enjoy that meal when you're with people that you love and love you. And then you can go to maybe have been your experience just in recent days go to a fabulous feast, and there's so much conflict in the family and hatred and animosity and the whole thing, you can't even enjoy the meal. You went to In-N-Out on the way home. So I don't know anybody that made this burger. I can eat it. The most important thing about enjoying a meal is not the food, but the quality of the company. That we're enjoying the meal with, God tells us, and that's the truth of the matter. Verse 18, a wrathful man, this is a man who loses his temper, literally a man of rage, hot headed. A man of, a wrathful man stirs up strife. That's all he can ever do. There's always a fight around that kind of a person. But he who is slow to anger allays contention. He knows how to calm down a volatile, uh, situation. So anyone can lose their temper and then uh, make a situation worse. Uh, it takes a wise man that doesn't allow himself to be drawn into the the contention and and then knows how to calm down a volatile situation. Verse nineteen: The way of a lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. is is hard. It's difficult. It's painful. Uh, he, that kind of a lazy man makes life hard for himself, we could say. But the way of the upright and the idea is the diligent, the hardworking, it's a highway. That person's going to make progress, zoom forward in life way faster than the lazy man will. And yet it's interesting sometimes in our culture, the lazy person will look and say, look at that, he's way up there and all the privilege and the thing and every the silver spoon in his mouth and the whole deal. And doesn't even recognize that it's sometimes it's our own laziness or lack of diligence that keeps us in the place that we're in. There's a lot of Proverbs in the, in the book of Proverbs on this lazy fellow. And I have to say that I'm not around lazy people that much. And even when I'm not even around here, around the church, or around you and stuff, I'm out and about. People are hustling. I mean, I just, I see people moving. You want to study an activity. It's like a, it's like a, somebody's choreographed it. Drive through in and out. Even if you don't, Jennifer, just get the the bun and the lettuce. But you look in through that window, and I mean, you see people working. I see that everywhere. People are working. You have to today to keep the business afloat and the whole thing. And... um, and and so, but a lot to be spoken of here on, on what opens up to the person who's diligent. There's a great path and future for that person rather than the lazy person. Verse 20, a wise son makes a father glad. He brings joy to his parents. But a foolish man despises. And the idea is um, to treat with contempt or break the heart of his mother. And the ideas of a godly mother, it is only a foolish child who breaks the heart of his godly mother with his or her ungodly choices or behavior or lifestyle. Think about how much that goes on always in every generation, but certainly in this generation as well. Sometimes a child will never, ever be aware of the pain that they brought to their parents until one day they have children and then their children do the same thing uh, to them. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but very often it happens. And then mom gets a call in the middle of the night, Mom, I'm sorry little Bobby is doing to me what I did to you, and now I know, will you forgive me? Moms love calls like that, by the way. So if you were like a little Napoleon, a little tyrant, a little handful when you were growing up and you broke your parents' heart, you say, well, you know, I'm walking with the Lord again now, and they see that, and that'll be enough for them. No, don't leave them hanging there. Make the phone call. So I so appreciate what you did for me. And I know, my, I know my choices broke your heart. Would you forgive me for that? I'll tell you. It'll save you having to buy a Christmas gift for them. Because you'll have already given it to them. Buy the gift too. But it's a powerful, powerful thing. Verse 21. Folly is joy to him who is de- destitute... Of uh, discernment, and but a man of understanding walks uprightly. He steers clear uh, of. Uh, of folly. So, to enjoy foolishness reveals me to be uh, a fool, but fool, uh, folly uh, only feeds foolishness in our life and makes us more and more foolishness, uh, foolish. So, uh, to um, uh, avoid it altogether. But the point of the proverb is, what I enjoy in life is a reflection on me and on my heart. If I enjoy folly, then it reveals me to be a foolish person. If I enjoy the things of the Lord, these are the, these are the things that are most important to me. These are the things I want to grow in and become deep in. Then it reveals me to be a different, completely different kind of person. Verse 22, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, and the idea is godly counselors, they are established. So this proverb teaches us to never be afraid to ask counsel and advice of godly people concerning some plan that you might be uh, considering. And good counsel, godly counsel and advice is very, very valuable. Get all the good advice that you can possibly get in life. It spares us from many Many, many mistakes. And so many people today, they won't say anything to you until you ask of them. What do you think of this? How do you see this? And they got a world of things they've been wanting to say, but they wouldn't say it until you ask for the advice. And then they have the freedom to say that. And so then you listen to them. Because we all have blind spots in our life. We just do. We don't see everything clearly in every decision. And so here's this person with this personality. And then here's this person with this gifting and this kind of life experience and background. And by the time you involve a number of those people in a major decision that you're making in life, then they really will round things out. And then you can say, I think I see this whole situation really clearly. It doesn't mean that you go out and you do what they told you to do. It means that how it works like this is you pray to the Lord and you say, Lord, I want your direction here in this situation. And you believe that God has given you a plan to to accomplish and then you take that and you bring that to other people and you say i believe the lord has spoken this to me and uh, how do you see that in light of the word and how what what would you speak into my life related to this and then and then listen to everything that they have to say don't give it the weight of the word of god in your life but then take all of that input back to the lord once again and say now lord i see this more clearly than ever and with eyes wide open now what do you want me to do with this with this decision and it is very very uh, uh helpful we have a great need uh, for advice and for counsel and the greater the decision the greater the need for uh counsel we live in a very very individualistic society uh, here in the United States of America and we tend to make decisions on our own or with a very limited pool of input. And uh, sometimes if we will be wise enough to broaden that into people that see things differently than we do, but we know they love us and care for us, they're for us, it can really, really help us. I think about in the book of Acts where even you have men as spiritual as Paul and Barnabas, they were sent out by church leaders for their missionary work. They wanted to hear the Lord for themselves, but they wanted it to be confirmed by other godly men uh, at, at the time, and uh, so too is in uh, later in the book of Acts when it talks about the Jerusalem Council there how it took all of those men to come forward with the mind of Christ concerning uh, the situation that they were facing. Verse 23, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth. In other words, isn't it one of the greatest feelings in life? It really is when you're involved in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden you have a sense that God has taken over your side of the conversation. And what is now coming forth from you is wisdom from the Lord. And you sometimes you, you can be talking and there's conversations going on between you and God. God, I think that's you talking. I would have never thought of that in a million years. In fact, that's so good, I want to write it down and take notes. And it's a great feeling to walk away and say, God used me in that conversation. So... Speaking to other people as it talks about here uh, something good and a blessing into their life it isn't just a blessing to the person that receives it it's a blessing to the person who's used by God in that way but it's also a blessing to the hearer because the proverb goes on and says and a word spoken in due season how good it is isn't it great to be in conversation with someone this kind of thing happens in home fellowships and lots of different contexts where Or maybe we're talking with someone and then they say something and you know, that's from the Lord. That's closure. That's the mind of the Lord on this. And what a blessing it is uh, to receive, uh, to receive that. Verse 24, the way of life uh, winds upward for the wise. Uh, that he may turn away from hell below. So this proverb teaches two things, that wisdom can keep a person from premature death. A lot of people die. uh, They have early deaths because of a lack of wisdom. So probably in every newspaper that's printed every day, you just go through the pages and we'll see it somewhere. And the obituaries, what people sometimes die of, or um, in the local section, or the national, international section. But the proverb also teaches that there are two pulls in life, and one is upward and one is downward, and uh, the proverb tells us that it's the wise man who opens his sail up to God and then allows God to pull him heavenward and away from both hell on earth and also hell in the life to come. Verse 25, the Lord himself the idea is the lord himself will destroy the house of the proud but he will establish the boundary the land boundaries of the widow the people that are most vulnerable or uh, to the wicked and to the powerful at any time in human history so this speaks to us about how actively god involves himself in the affairs of men it isn't just that he's working you know with um, the EU and the United States related to uh, the Iran issue uh, or Isra- uh, Israel and Iran and these things, these big problems. But God takes note of the fact when some Rich, powerful person decides that here is a widow who is powerless and I'm going to move uh, the, the rock that marks the boundary of her property and I'm going to take some of that from her. As a personal level, that maybe nobody else sees, God says, I see that and I'll judge the proud man who does that and I will protect The widow or the powerless person who's a victim of that kind of thing. But the worst worst thing in the world almost that a person can be guilty of is to take advantage of the powerless and the poor. God just hates it. He he, um, speaks against it from one end of the Bible to the other. Uh, The poor are... They're the ones who are in greater need of help than anyone else. Nobody should sell a lousy car to a poor poor person or a lousy anything. To take advantage of them. I know we've spoken about that in recent weeks, but but the the warning against the unrighteous taking advantage of the poor. Verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination uh, to the Lord. And, of course, he knows everybody's thoughts, and so he sees those thoughts of the wicked, and they, uh, they're they an abomination to him. Um, there really is no such thing as private thoughts, by the way. But the words of the pure are pleasant. In other words, they bless him. So it's wonderful to realize that we can not only bless the Lord with our words, and we've already seen we can bless the Lord with our heart, but we can also bless the Lord with our thoughts. And he gets involved in all of our thinking, doesn't he? Well, we hope he is involved in our thinking. And so, even our thinking is, uh, and, and uh, the things that um, come before our words, these things are a blessing. Uh, Unto the Lord. Then at verse 27. He who is greedy for gain. And the idea is bribes. He's willing to take bribes. uh, Troubles his own house. But he who hates bribes. Will live. And so the greedy. Greed makes people vulnerable. To all kinds of problems. Look what it's doing today. Look what it did in the financial meltdown. The greed. Look what's going on right now. You watch where. You know, federal money is being funded, and you just see where the rats line up. They just put together some corporation. Where are they throwing money away today? And they build a corporation for it, and the money just funnels in. They know how to take advantage of that kind of thing, and uh, so there's this greed, and it's all around us, and uh, and it make it, it makes a person vulnerable for all kinds of trouble. And one the one trouble that the uh, the uh, Solomon brings up here is that when a man is caught uh, taking a bribe out of his greed, then he brings shame on the whole family and on their name, which then brings shame on the the wife, it brings shame upon uh, the kids, and so it's something to make a greedy person think twice about that and. Um, And think about what happens if you get caught and what it will do to your wife and do to your children, which is always a healthy thing uh, to consider when we're being tempted by sin, whether it's greed or whatever it might be. How will this affect my wife? How will this affect my family? And um, how they view me as a husband, how they view me as a father—that uh, keeps us out of, uh, can keep us out of a lot of trouble. Verse 28: The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked just pours forth evil just bubbles out like a spring of water, you know. There's anything they think just comes out. And because they are wicked, all that comes out is, is evil. But I like this word how in the first part of, of the proverb. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Now, there's a lot of proverbs that talk about the heart of the righteous studying what to answer. What are we supposed to say in this given situation to this person? What would be the wise thing? What would be the edifying thing? We've looked at several Proverbs tonight related to that. But this proverb goes even further, and and it speaks about the fact that the righteous man gives consideration not only to what he or she is going to say, but then they go a step further, and they give consideration to how they say what they say to another person. Because they're not talking to a wall. They're not talking to a refrigerator. They're talking to a human being. They're talking to someone who has feelings. And sometimes certain things can be said in a certain way that will make that, that fact or that truth go into a person's heart ten times further just on the basis of, uh, of how something is said. You can give it to somebody, you stupid idiot. Anybody can see it. It's a ridiculous, anybody half a brain could see you. Don't do that. And somebody takes over and says, now listen, I think what you were wanting to do here was this. But the reason it didn't work was because of this over here. And so what we'll want to do is we'll want to do it this way. And I'll tell you, when a person learns from someone like that, they will realize maybe not at that moment, but maybe a week later or a month later or a decade later, or three decades later, they'll look back and go, Oh, I see what he was doing. He didn't shame me. He had respect for me as a person. He could have made me look like the dumbest person in the world, but he didn't do it. And we will love them forever for having studied how to answer and speak into uh, a person's uh, life. Giving consideration. How are these words going to affect the hearer? Well, that's what the righteous person does. The wicked person gives that no thought. They just say whatever they uh, comes into their mind and, and just damages people right and left. Verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked. In other words, he has no fellowship or relationship with them. But he hears the prayer of the righteous, God hears our prayers every time we pray. Somebody come up here and pinch me, don't. But it's an amazing thing. He hears our prayers every time we pray. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. Um, so it's talking about someone who comes to you and they've got a message to bring to you and their face is all lit up, their eyes are all lit up, and it's an indication that they're bringing good news. So uh, it, it rejoices the heart of the person that's going to receive uh, the message. And a good report makes the bones healthy. And so here's a great encouragement to those who have kind of a cheery personality or a positive uh, personality, that even their bright eyes, I think, I hope all of us know at least a few people like this, that you look into their face, they don't even have to say anything and they've encouraged you. Their face just beams. And then there's that rare person still. You can't work it up. I don't think you can, you can work it up. Uh, this particular thing, there's a certain person, they just have a twinkle in their eye. I mean, you just look at them and they're, and I don't care what condition they're in. They may be in a hospital bed. You look in their eye and there's that twinkle and you go, man, there's a lot going on inside of there. And it's all happy and it's all good and it's all joy and a, and a, and a blessing. So it teaches us that our countenance... Is, is impactful. We talked about that a little bit this morning. But uh, that cheerful countenance and being a cheerful person that it blesses and it lifts up the hearts of other people. And, uh, and the person who's a cheerful person today is just like a rose, you know. People are just going to trample it. And But don't you ever lose that in your life if you're that kind of person. I don't care who throws your your personality back in your face or throws your cheerfulness or your joy back into your face or scorns it or mocks it, all that stuff goes on. Don't you lose that. They didn't want it. They didn't appreciate it. They didn't need it. But there's a whole world of people who do. And you have no idea who you're influencing and who it is that you're impacting. So the proverb speaks to the power of uh, these things and also to the power of good news, uh, uh, not only to our emotional health, but also to our physical health and well-being. I mean, we know today, like never before, how, how what we think and what we feel, the effect that that has upon our physical health. And that's what this is talking about here. A good report makes the bones... Uh, healthy. And so we need to, uh, the the effect of the good report that does that. And so again, I refer back to this morning's message, the importance of making sure there is a heavy dose of good report in our life and not just a constant consuming of the bad reports that we can get on the news and all of these uh, other places. It does end up affecting our health. You may have the margins that it doesn't incapacitate you yet, but you're still paying a price for it. A good report makes the bones healthy, and there's no better place that a person can go for than for a good report and to begin the day that way than turning to the Bible and uh, reading that. Good news from one end of the book to the other. Verse 31, the ear that hears the rebukes of life, what's the result of that? Uh, that person will abide among the wise. Verse thirty-two: He who disdains instruction—this refers specifically to moral instruction—he despises his own soul. Don't talk to me about morality. Don't talk. Don't give me that kind of input. That person hates his own life. He just doesn't realize it. He—he he is um, uh, g- going to destroy his. Uh, his own life. He's his own worst enemy. But he who heeds rebuke, not just encouragement in life, heeding that, but even heeding rebuke, that person gets uh, understanding. And then verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And so it is respect for God that then opens me up to receive his wisdom from his word. And before honor is humility. First, humility, and then honor. That's the way that it works with God. It doesn't work that way in the world. Pride and arrogance first, and then uh, comes honor. But all that does is it sets people up for the inevitable fall on their face. And doesn't the world love to build people up and give them all of that coverage, and then they'll give them double the coverage when they crash and burn? I mean, it's the, they, they win both ways in that kind of a situation. And so, but in God's kingdom and how we ought to operate even in this world, humility first, and then comes honor. And the proverb also teaches us that knowledge alone doesn't make a person wise. There are people that have, their, their, they have, they know so much stuff, even so much stuff from the word of God. But if it's not accompanied with the fear of the Lord, a person will know all of these facts. But it's the fear of the Lord that makes us obey them. God's word. And then it's that obedience that puts us on the path to then experience the blessings. Well, let's stop there tonight. No surprise to you. And let's ask the worship team uh, to come forward for a moment. And I'm going to ask them to lead us in at least one worship song here to close so that we can have just a little time to take your little hard candy and uh, put it right there between your cheek and gum and... uh, Allow it to do a little bit more work maybe before we leave tonight. Puts a little deeper in our minds so that we don't forget it too quickly. Let's work.